Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I am Ben Harrison. Ben, I felt lately that uh, that my spirits are a little low. I've got that for no reason to drink hangover today. <laughs> you ever get that like out of nowhere? Like I didn't drink enough to get this hangover. Yeah, I don't deserve this. And so my heart feels a little empty, and I'm hoping that you could help to fill it with a little Bible study. Oh, I would love to. Uh, I would love to crack open the, the show Bible. Ben, it's been infinity since my last confession. <laughs> it's good to see you all in church. It's called the Bible. That's the way God wants it. I don't know why, dude. All these questions? Is a little blind faith too much to ask? Are there any chapters about uh, Captain Picard's love life or rules about it? Um, I could read you the Captain Picard chapter, which is two pages. That's that's sort of a lot. It is. It is a lot. Alternately, uh, you could just do the spin the globe and and point yeah. to a to a chapter situation. And that's that's always fun. And that's where we'll travel to. <laughs> Oh, okay. I've got one called Script Style. This is page seven. Um, the uh, the headers are format, the tag, and star dates. The under format it says we need a teaser and five acts. The teaser can run as long as five pages is necessary, if necessary, but should be but should not be shorter than three. Each act should be approximately ten to eleven script pages long. Total length of the first draft script should not be more than 58 pages. 58 uh, sounds like a ton if you're using the standard issue page per minute ratio. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I don't know if television scripts have a different rule of thumb on that, but in yeah, in feature film scripts, you estimate about a, a page a minute. So, 58 seems fat and maybe they want it that way so that they can like lean it up what was the episode with the record for shortest cold open because there was one that was like 40 seconds right. i feel like five or six episodes ago yeah i don't remember <laughs> that had to be really crazy to read through that one and be like you're flipping through the pages like this is it there's there was a script with a bar napkin staple to the front of it <laughs> uh Stardates has a, has some interesting stuff. It says a stardate is a five-digit number followed by a decimal point and one more digit. The first two digits of the stardate are four six. The four stands for twenty-fourth century. The sixth hand indicates sixth season. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah. The following three digits will progress consecutively during the course of the season from zero 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 to nine nine nine. And the decimal point counts tenths of a day. Weird. Wow. I never knew that. I never, I never knew, knew there was a math to it. Yeah, I always assumed it was just a f- fake number that they pulled out of their asses. Yeah, that was like vaguely chronological. It's weird that they never depend on that as a storytelling unit of measurement. Right. Like, you never need it to understand the story that's happening. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in a lot of modern television, time is so important in the storytelling. Yeah, there's never... That that it's never a crutch here. There's never a 24-style stardate counter. Yeah. Ticking up. Huh. That's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's all that's interesting on this page. (laughs) Wow. Well, um, I guess I feel a little better after that, Ben. Peace be with you. And also with you, Adam. I hope uh, I hope your bad fifis and your and your sick tum tum get better. Well <laughs> We'll uh, get back on the horse somehow. <laughs> Let's start by talking about today's episode, Ben. It's season six, episode nineteen. Lessons. This is becoming a speech. 
Captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. Not entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. We get our start with Picard kind of like, kind of pulling a late nighter. Like he's, he's like up on the bridge and Data's trying to give him status updates and Picard's like, knock it off, man. I'm, I'm, I'm just like night owling here. I'm going to go hang out in my office and like throw this tennis ball at the wall and think some thoughts. And he's going to try to blow a call into some, some buddy of his and they can't use the communications he, uh, he tries to replicate some TRL Grey Hot. The replicators can't be used. To go. He tries to flush a toilet. <laughs> Nothing goes down. Yeah, he tries to uh, look something up in the Enterprise's porn banks. He thinks maybe that'll help him get to sleep. The uh, <laughs> the porno library is closed. He keeps like wanting things that he can't get because the Stellar Cartography Lab has like opted to take control of tons of ship's resources what could they possibly be doing down there we know at this point that the enterprise runs a three shift rotation like if you're working swing right now what are you doing there's nothing to do right (laughs) like nothing works yeah i guess you just have to like hope that no romulans come around because you don't have uh, the ability to sense them yeah, the uh, entrepreneur's pants are just floating in space right now <laughs> next to the ship. Dick's out. Uh, this is all because of this experiment in stellar cartography, and it made me wonder, Ben, Like, do you feel like Picard may have some latent animus towards the science officers on the ship since his experience with Q as, you know, when he was made to experience the science life? Um, I don't know. I mean, he, he definitely, like, he's, he's definitely, like, irritated enough that he goes down and, like, opens the door to the dark room. In or out, just close that door. And, uh, it, like, flashes all the photos that the, uh, stellar cartography people <laughs> are trying to develop. He walks into a, to a, like, basically a full-on planetarium scene with, like, <laughs> a narrator <laughs> and, and that, and that globe in the middle of the room that shoots the light on the ceiling our solar system is truly (laughs) a marvelous place (laughs) that might be the worst morgan freeman than anybody has ever done it wasn't so bad that i didn't know who you were doing though really (laughs) that's a nice floor to an impression i feel like i forgot who i was doing halfway through that impression You may have found the least Kevin-y impression <laughs> of all the impressions, which is good also. Penguins live in outer space. <laughs> <laughs> they love each other all winter long. There's a musicality to the Morgan Freeman impression that I really like. Like, you know just where to go down for that note. <laughs> yeah. When the sisters found Pluto in the laundry room that day... <laughs> I don't know how to finish that reference to uh, Shawshank Redemption. What did the sisters do to Pluto, Ben? I think you know, Adam. <laughs> you just don't want to say because you're too chaste. <laughs> it goes. It, it's kind of a funny scene, right? Because the door opens and shuts, and the kind of Doctor Crushery-looking person that is there sort of barks at Picard without turning around and realizing who she's barking at. Have you ever had this happen? Where you, like, are talking shit about somebody and they're, like, standing right behind you? It's a terrifying experience. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like the holiday office party nightmare that, that I feel like everybody's had it happen once. I had it happen with a roommate one time where I was like, My roommate's so terrible, he got punched in the face right in front of me. What an <laughs> idiot. Was it that roommate? <laughs> uh, previous roommate to that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I was like, uh, I don't know, complaining about like him not straightening up or something. And the other roommate who I was talking to was like, Is he right behind you? And I, I was like, No. <laughs> And I just hear him kind of walk walk right by, going, I heard what you said. <laughs> I heard what you said, Benjamin. <laughs> because I hear old things. I should have been cued off by the by the ice cream truck music. <laughs> by the distinct smell of, of soft swirl. 
<laughs> Allow me to introduce my party date, Rashan. <laughs> she cannot hold up her own weight because she is a doll. <laughs> ben, have you ever had a good roommate experience? You're sort of painting a picture here of a lot of a lot of roommate bodies in your wake. Um, I have. I can I can think of one in particular. My wife. <laughs> she was my roommate before she was my girlfriend. She's not listening, Ben. You can be honest. <laughs> <laughs> this scene does an interesting thing with this lieutenant commander because you hear her before you see her. Yeah. She's got a real Anne Bancroft voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she does. Like, real raspy and fun. Yeah. Like, she's uh, she's got sort of a half-a-pack-a-day voice, and I like it. Yeah, it's it's almost um, like I got a little whiff of Janeway, even. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a little reedy. Yeah, and uh, and she's got... She's definitely, like, going to the same wig maker that Beverly is. Because that's the other thing is like when you see her with her back turned and the lights down, you you kind of you could kind of read her as as Beverly. That's a great point about that wig because there are a number of things sticking out from her, <laughs> <laughs> and only one thing sticking out from Picard. <laughs> She's sort of Sputnik shaped. <laughs> Yeah, it's that 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 tone that uh, that really puts a panic in in uh, <laughs> Picard's Cold War drawers. <laughs> when this lady turns around, she was um, she's a little surprised to see the captain there. I assume that you must be Lieutenant Commander Darren. The the reason that Picard has come down here is is that he wants his his tea Earl Grey, and this lady is like Earl Grey tea. That's some disgusting shit. She's like, "Why are you drinking that late at night? Aren't you aren't you a warm milkman? I've heard about you. <laughs> Your aunt's legend has has traveled <laughs> far and wide." <laughs> and uh and so she she orders up the tea recipe that she has programmed into the ship's replicator. Computer, bring replicators back online and give me a cup of Darren herbal tea blend number 3. And she <laughs> She gives him some of this tea. Hot! Too hot! He has, like, he does, like, the same wince that Scotty does when he drinks the green stuff. It's a little bit Romulan soup wince, yeah. also. It's, like, strung stuff. He's, it's, he's not, he doesn't quite take to it like a duck to water. It's, maybe it's mushroom tea. <laughs> you think he's gonna be high as fuck after this? He needs to find a safe space after this. <laughs> yeah, he needs to get some orange juice and like... A... Do not look into any mirrors, Picard. <laughs> um, yeah, make sure, that, make sure that you have a very good sense of morality and are in a good <laughs> mood when, when you go on this journey. <laughs> but like, you can tell that there's some, you know, this may be the... Stellar cartography lab, but you can tell that there's some chemistry right off the bat. I try to, with authority figures, like in a workplace context, to both respect the authority, but also make it totally clear that I am not going to be uncomfortable around authority figures. Mm -hmm. And Darren's sort of like that. She's like, yeah, the captain's in the room. The captain's irritated about stuff on his ship not working, but it's okay to be friendly. It's okay to, like, offer the guy tea. Like, right. we're just normal people doing a job out here. I don't have to be afraid of you. Right. Like, there's a chain of command, and if, like, you know, the buck stops with you and what you say goes, but I'm not going to shake in my boots. Picard goes to a concert in 10 Forward, like, later the next day, but not before he has dinner with Beverly. And this is this is kind of a an interesting sea story in the episode. 
I mean, to the extent, I don't even know if there's a B story. I guess there is. But the idea that, like, Beverly is going to have some feelings about Picard getting a girlfriend is very much introduced, but is never really dealt with in a way that, like, lets Beverly go through any character development. Like, yeah. we see this scene where where they have dinner and... Picard is in this kind of coded way talking about Lieutenant Commander Darren. I met the new head of Stellar Sciences last night. Like, Beverly is not picking up on the fact that Picard is talking about a girl, but he is. And then, like, we get a later scene where Beverly is doing some six-bay on Commander Darren. And um, this is presumably uh, a couple of dates into Picard and her relationship. And Beverly looks a little, like, stunned and even maybe a little bit embarrassed about it but that's kind of the that's kind of the extent of what happens to Beverly with this i think anyone would be embarrassed if the lady friend of your love interest came into sick bay with like a sore and fatigued arm <laughs> yeah yeah is that like, is that an hj injury <laughs> you can draw so many conclusions from that <laughs> yeah that's typically an injury that Riker comes to sick bay with. <laughs> yeah. Well, Riker gives the best HJs around. Riker gives so many HJs, uh, they've had to remove his arm and replace it with a new one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what the those that, those weren't those weren't sinister aliens. That was the Starfleet equivalent of OSHA. This show teases the interest that Beverly has in Picard out so long and so thin that it sort of depends on the viewer to fill in the gaps when all you get in this episode is a stare off into the distance from Beverly each time she's confronted with the idea of maybe losing her breakfast date every morning. Like that's, that's all they're willing to pay off on it. And I think it's too bad. It is. Because you get so little of Beverly to begin with as a as an interesting character. She is still only Wesley's mother. Only a widow. Yeah. It's a shame. This uh this concert is intense. Like it's I think it's like a it's data and a cellist and um and then in comes Darren, Nella Darren, and she sits down at the grand piano and uh, she starts playing and she notices that he's like really feeling it and she starts to like kind of like step her game up. She she puts on a little show for him. She plays the piano with like a data like ferocity. Her fingers are a blur. She's kick ass at this piano. Yeah. She's like, uh, you know, like if if this stellar cartography gig doesn't work out she has a career as a concert pianist why does data need sheet music maybe it's like the same reason he like pretends to breathe it's to make people think he's human or whatever yeah good call bring lull people because into it, a sense of security before he uh, hijacks the ship <laughs> it would draw people's attention to his differentness if he didn't I guess was that lieutenant J in there I think it's safe to say that Lieutenant J and Picard might be on the out because she is not rubbing up against him during this recital as she was in previous concerts. There's a noticeable gap between them. Yeah. That seat gap, though. (laughs) (laughs) The reception at the end of the recital finds uh, Picard and... Data and Beverly having a chat and Commander Darren comes up and Beverly, ignorant of what's going on at this point, excuses herself when Data walks away to to talk to somebody, leaving Picard and Darren to like get to, you know, licking each other's assholes about music. I thought Beverly knew exactly what she was doing. Really? Yeah. Because if she does, then why is she so fucking stunned when uh when Darren comes in with her hand job injury later. I think that's her essential conflict is hmm. like she wants what's best for her friend in but spite she... of the fact that she truly believes that she is what's best for her friend. 
Yeah. And those two things create a tension in her that, based on the scene, could could take different sides. Anyway, the the point of of their conversation, of Darren's conversation with Picard, is is like they figure they should jam together sometime because Picard kind of d- betrays an interest in music that is a little more than just a uh, dude watching music being played. He's like dropping music science on her. During the second arpeggio of the first movement, I noticed that you played an F minor chord instead of a diminished D. Picard's like, I used to play tenor saxophone in high school, like, <laughs> uh, but, I, but I stopped when it, when it stopped being fun. He was in the marching band? <laughs> yeah. She's like, we should jam sometime. That'd be cool. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just an amateur. I don't, uh, I don't show people my flute. <laughs> Keep that to myself. Darren is, you know, getting comfortable. She's like new to the ship, right? Like that's something we maybe didn't mention is that she's, she's newly assigned to the entrepreneur. So, like the rest of the crew is getting to know her at the same time, and. Riker like kind of winds up in this weird position where she keeps kind of coming to him and asking for shit and like initially like it's it's like can I get some more sensor array time and he's like maybe tomorrow but then eventually like it it becomes clear that she and Picard are knocking boots and so when she asks Riker for favors then he's like well what the fuck am I supposed to do about this and rightfully so I really like seeing Riker work like it's easy to forget sometimes how much how big of a job he has like everything funnels to him and it's hard like he's got to juggle the needs of everyone on the crew and this is like I mean like this is I think where Picard shows what a good captain he is is that like is like he's he's really deeply conflicted about this relationship like he he talks a good amount to Troy about it. Uh, he talks to Riker about it. Like, like he's like, you know, I see that this is like something that is not bad for me, but it puts me in a weird position as captain. Like, I really want to make sure that nobody's playing favorites uh, with, you know, with her because of that. I want to make sure that, like, I can be the captain and, you know, do the the right thing w slash art slash t commanding the ship uh without this like playing some weird role like like this new variable like it potentially complicates that a lot and i don't want that to be the case you know there's two parallel things happening during the course of the captain's romance with darren there is the idea that a workplace relationship could complicate matters for the other crew people doing professional work, which is the conversation that he has with Riker, there's the appropriateness of the relationship at all, which is the conversation that he has with Troy. And then there's also just, like, seeing happy Picard sashay around the ship and Darren, like, wearing his action jacket around her shoulder like a varsity jacket in high school. (laughs) Like, there's... When you see... Like, Picard is the kind of happy that makes people paranoid and suspicious a little bit. Right. Like, it's it's weird how discomforting that is. Like, because it is so... Like, and this isn't to say that Picard's playing it big, because he's not. But I think it says a lot about how neutral Picard's carriage is at all times when even a little bit of smiling makes him seem like a crazy person it's very unusual to see him get good feelings as often uh and as frequently as frequently as he gets them in this in this episode and this episode is also really interesting because like there is no like rising tension at all aside from the kind of like concerns he's having about the way he can like work this into the fact that he's essentially the the king of the of the ship for like the first i don't know three quarters of this episode like she 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 winds up being kind of a a pivotal character in a in a tense thing that they have to solve but that takes about seven or eight minutes to get through and it's just like the last thing in the episode 
it's just them like you know sneaking around and playing music together and finding a Jeffrey's tube to smooch in and stuff like it's not yeah there's like they this show has an amazing ability to have not that much go on you know like you would you would never see a modern television show spend 30 minutes just building a romance without any rising dramatic action of any kind to accompany it it really worked for me i don't know if it worked for you but i was totally wrapped up in their relationship and i was fully invested in picard's happiness he is so laid bare for her like he tells her the crazy probe story he hasn't told anyone that story the story about being about living an entire life and then learning how to play the flute through it like that is the sort of story you tell someone only if you're absolutely sure that you won't be committed afterwards. Yeah. It is you bonkers. That's like a first month of dating story, not a not a second date story. <laughs> like Yeah. That's like, hey, like uh, this seems like it's getting really serious, so there's something like pretty intense you should know about me. <laughs> he you is know? so happy. And like she is a great match for her in a way a lot of the other women in his life haven't been. Like, I think Vash was maybe my favorite before Darren because Vash was also very uh, very comfortable around someone for whom most people are not. Mm-hmm. You know, like she would, she would sit in his chair and she would throw shit back at his face. And, uh, and Darren has a lot of those qualities too, but she also has... Uh, a career ambition that I think uh, Picard finds familiar and appealing. She's also age appropriate, and that's nice. <laughs> yeah, she's not seventeen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Could I ask you that question ago though, Ben? Like, did their relationship work for you? Did you find it credible? Were you invested in it the way I was? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's like a a real testament to the strength of this show and the and this era of the show is that like i was i was thinking as i watched this without the the kind of like special effects of fire at the end i don't know how you make the you know 25 second promo reel for next week's exciting episode of star trek the next generation with a bunch of footage of like picard getting the warm and fuzzies and Mm. like, and like getting complimented on his skills as a musician. Like it's a tough sell, but it's so good. Like it, it totally works. I don't, we hammer the writers of this show quite a bit. And I think rightly, but the way you described, like you have a, you have the middle 25 of this show to establish without question that this is the most significant romantic relationship Picard's had on this show. And to do that without dissolving into the, like, something good montage from the Naked Gun movie. Like, to make it feel real. And, like, not chaste and wholesome in the way that romances on this show can sometimes be. But to, like, make it, you know, a weighty adult romantic relationship, I thought, was was done really well here. Sure. Under circumstances that seemed profoundly difficult. Like, this is a show where, like, what was it? Like, the last episode that Worf declares his love for a girl that he saw naked in Grotto yeah. one time? Yeah. Like, like we've, we've, come, we've come a long way from that in a very short time. Yeah. It is a guiding principle with Darth Vader's face. Have you not find it within yourself? So they, we have established that. We have established that this is a a real romantic relationship between two characters who have agency that are not, you know, cardboard cutouts of their gender. And they connect on an emotional level, on an intellectual level. Um, a consent level. Uh-huh. There's a, there, there's a lot to like about this situation. Yeah. And... I, you know, perhaps most of all is the fact that she did him the treat of putting on some very tight pants and going up a ladder ahead of him. <laughs> nice beaver. Thank you. I just had it stuffed. Let me help you with that. <laughs> You've just given me the gift of the uh, 
nice beaver. Thanks, I just had it stuffed. <laughs> Drop that I don't think we've used on this show. So thanks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Going to be yeah. a lot of naked gun in this episode. <laughs> the ship gets a distress call from a Federation colony that's got... It's on a planet that catches on fire every seven years, which seems like a rough neighborhood to try and build an outpost in. This planet is like if the Tropic Thunder fake movie trailer for Scorcher was a planet. (laughs) It's Planet Scorcher. Yeah. There's a... uh... There's an Ian M. Banks novel where there's a planet that, like, has a ring of fire that just travels around it, and, like, it, it like it's basically just a jungle that constantly is getting burned down and replenished, and so, like, every mm. whatever cycle, like, that happens, and it just moves across the planet until it goes all the way around and comes back the other side. So that's kind Probably of what I was... makes for some very fertile soil. Mm, yeah. Uh, that's sort of what I was picturing here. And, um, and they're, they're, uh, you know, like the, the storm is coming early. It's like they've got global flaming going on on this planet where, where the, uh, the storms are stronger and more frequent. And, um, this uh, is a planet that's pulled completely out of the Paris climate agreement. Right. Um, (laughs) and they are paying the price at them. (laughs) Uh, you know, but anyways, they're going to like, they're going to rescue these, these colonists, whether or not they deserve it. And, um, (laughs) the idea is that they need to, they need to like buy themselves some time because this, this firestorm is going to make it hard to transport people out. So, uh, commander Darren has some experience with the type of like damping fields that, uh, that you would use for this kind of thing. And she actually comes up with this idea of like linking a bunch of them together and making a big, a big like energy wall to protect the colony while they beam everybody else out. So because of her expertise, Riker, you know, puts her in, in charge of the dozen crew members who are going to beam down to the planet and like operate this thing while they rescue the like hundreds of other people that are in harm's way. It's a it's a real needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few type of deal. And uh, it's like a it's you know he he has ordered some of these people to their death. They uh, they do the thing and there's like there's like this moment where Picard like radios down to everybody and says, "It is imperative that you hold your position. You guys are going to be the last off off the surface." There is a shot composition choice here that I wanted to discuss with you, which is the moment he makes this decision, uh, we go really wide on the bridge, like super wide from the view screen position. And it just makes Picard look as small as can be, as small as he must feel at the moment he's got to make that call. Yeah. I think they rarely do literal compositions in the way that they do here. And I thought that was an interesting moment in the episode. Yeah. I mean, because he feels helpless. Like, he is doing exactly what he was hoping he would be strong enough to do, which is Mm -hmm. be willing to put this person in harm's way, despite the fact that he loves her very much, uh, because that's what he has to do as captain of the ship. And, you know, like, it's still hard. And you you can see it in in uh, the actress that played Commander Darren's performance, like a lot goes on in her face when she gets that radio message. You cast her for her ability to do that scene, I think. Totally. That is so critical. Yeah, and her ability to fit in a back zip that you've already made because you don't want to make another one. Right, yeah. (laughs) So they get all the colonists saved. They get most of the teams that were operating the walls saved, but they watch on like a computer monitor as the fire advances and they've, they've not gotten everybody out. And among the teams that they haven't saved, uh, is commander Darren's. So Picard gets this news from Riker down in six Bay where, you know, there's quite a lot of people and 
he basically like goes back to his room and he it, this is another super wide shot composition where he's just like deep in in the in the frame sitting on one of his couches not doing anything just like feeling feelings basically and then the camera drops as Picard approaches his glass table with flute on it and Ben I feared for that glass table <laughs> I thought he was going to chop through it but instead he closes the flute case uh he's lost his music it's a he he doesn't have the will to play anymore it's a really evocative scene because it's like this this flute represents a very intense memory for him and now it's also going to represent this woman that he loved and lost i'm glad this episode was able to give us this moment and did not rush immediately from we think everyone's dead to there are survivors like we have to sit in this moment a little bit and i think that's crucial to feeling all the feelings that you're supposed to feel when you watch this episode the the grief you have to sit in that grief in order to feel the joy that comes later mm-hmm. so it turns out they end up finding survivors of you know these teams down there that set up the firewall were able to use their phasers to erect some sort of like emergency blanket shielding for them i mean a few of them died but several of them end up coming back and because i guess the tr- the transporter was set for maximum emotional manipulation <laughs> uh darren is the last to transport aboard and uh and relief washes over picard in an awesome wave yeah and so they talk about it like she explains the like techno babble explanation of how she survived the storm and then they start talking about them and she basically says the feelings i was feeling when i heard you radio down in the end i was more afraid that you'd blame yourself if i died mm-hmm. and i don't want to put him in that position and i don't want to be in that position myself and so i think we've got to not be an item i think i've got to go be on a different ship i thought if there was one moment in this episode that failed it was this one because it's hard to make a rational decision in an emotional circumstance but how dangerous is stellar cartography to begin with the only (laughs) reason she was down there was because she had like a specific experience setting up these shields like it had nothing to do with i think her career really and so if she remained on board, I don't know how much danger she would be in going forward. Like, and not only that, if, well, if her the, reason... if the Borgs ever take, like, a core sample of the ship out again, like, the chances <laughs> She'll are... She'll be on not, the toilet. Not bad that she's on that toilet. <laughs> yeah. And, like, if what you're trying to avoid is dying, then, like, another captain is going to... is going to put her in harm's way way before Picard ever would. And, like, I suppose the only place she could go where she could be truly safe is the hood. (laughs) And so that's what she proposes. And Picard kind of accepts this logic. I don't, like, I I guess I just didn't understand the decision. Like, I think they could have made it work on the ship. I thought the reason for her leaving was super flimsy if this is Picard's greatest and best shot at love. Yeah. Yeah. Picard almost goes full vineyard on her, too. Like, they kiss goodbye, and and they embrace, and you see Picard's face, and he almost goes down in that mud again. It it takes a an extreme force of will to, to hold off the tears, I thought. Yeah, it's weird that he has that mud pit in his quarters, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why are fires always trying to kill the people that Picard loves? Yeah. And Jordy's parents. Yeah. So that's the button, huh? That is the button. Picard's left in profound sadness yet again. My love is a peep of longing till for that which longer nurses let me see. Did you like the episode, Adam? I do really like the episode. And boy, after sort of a rocky start, season six 
has a bunch of strikes and gutters, but this is a definite strike for me. This is mm-hmm. great app, I thought. Yeah, not a mountain app to, no. for me, but... Um, mountain adjacent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that maybe if the end was a little stronger, uh, it might have been. But, like, I don't know where you could have taken the end either. There's that adage in writing that you put your characters through really tough tough situations like if you if if you want to have good characters you should be cruel to them as a writer and mm-hmm. the cruel choice here would be to have her die a heroic death in the line of duty and then have Picard have to deal with it, that but like Picard has been through so much fucking shit like he had to single-handedly save his ship from from a heist Last episode, <laughs> like, he's been tortured, he's been turned into a Borg. He's had the worst life of any of anyone on this ship, and it's not close, right? Right, and, like, if that, if, if that flute becomes a symbol of his dead girlfriend, like, that's the last thing he has. Besides the horses, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, don't, I don't think that, I don't think that that is justified, and I'm glad that they didn't take it in that direction but i agree that the uh, that final scene is the weakest part of the episode i remembered so little about this episode that i was fully prepared for the idea that darren had died i didn't remember that she had survived yeah i didn't either which is what made the transporter scene so manipulative to me (laughs) yeah it was like transporter scene directed by Steven Spielberg. We really need O'Brien back there again. It's been a while. I think he's off the ship. I think he's he's been reassigned to Deep Space Nine. He gets a goodbye on this show that I remember. He Oh he does? Yeah, he has a he has a fairly emotional goodbye with Captain Picard. And Picard beams him off the ship. Or maybe God, I hope he doesn't do that on Deep Space Nine, the show. Like an episode of that show and we just miss it. Hmm. I wonder if that's where it happens. I don't have any remember remembrance of that scene, so I, I can't help you, buddy. Hmm. All right. Uh, do we have any P1s, Ben? We sure do, Adam. Want to go check them out? Ch- ch- yeah. Ch- check them out. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Uh, Ben, we have our first commercial message in quite a while, and it goes like this. Ryan Burke and Steve Rowe are the hosts of 60 Cycle Hum, the guitar podcast. They're also lovers of all things Trek and are big fans of The Greatest Generation. Each week, Ryan and Steve discuss the used market of the guitar world, critiquing ads from Craigslist and eBay, and often going off-topic into pop culture, food, and geography. Check out 60 Cycle Hum, the guitar podcast. The show that applies all 285 Ferengi rules of acquisition to buying, selling, trading, and flipping guitars. Man. Ben, I'm I'm friends with quite a few musicians, and uh, guitars on the secondary market is a real fraught thing. That is like... Fairly difficult to know what you're getting. Yeah, that's such a cool niche to play to. I... I mean, like, I hear our friend John Roderick talk about that kind of thing on his uh, Roderick on the Line podcast sometimes, Mm -hmm. and man, it just sounds like such a rabbit hole. It sounds like getting into aged rum or something, where you could just, like, never not have new things to learn about it. I'm fairly envious of this show's concept, too, because it is so evergreen. Like, there are 10,000 different types of guitars to talk about. Right. You could do a show every week forever and not have a retread. I think this is an awesome concept. If you're a musician, if you're into buying guitars or interested in learning about them more, I think this sounds like a great show. It sounds great. And uh, I didn't even have any idea that there were that many rules of acquisition. So <laughs> check out 60 Cycle Hum. 60 Cycle Hum, not a competing podcast with our own show. <laughs> Adam, we have another Priority One message here. This one is of a personal nature. It's from Whitney and Roberta, and it's to Xandor. goes like this. 
Happy belated birthday from Australia. Hope you had fun and managed to pull a few drunk Shimodas. Don't know when we'll be in the States again. Too busy enjoying this universal health care. But we'll raise a glass of ginger beer and lychee vodka to you at Naked for Satan. Guys, please do an Australian Kevin Uxbridge to wish Sandor a happy birthday. Fasters, Australian for beer. (laughs) I didn't kill one crook. I killed all crooks everywhere. This is Kevin Uxbridge. I like bloomin' onions. (laughs) I said onions. (laughs) Who snuck are destroying the Great Barrier Reef? (laughs) Also, if you're in Australia, you have no excuse for belated birthdays. <laughs> you exist a full day before everyone else. <laughs> Unacceptable. Well, maybe our show doesn't fall perfectly onto Sandor's birthday. Oh, okay. Maybe that makes sense. Maybe too. that's what the issue is. Well, happy birthday, Xander. If you'd like to leave a message for our viewers, you can go to maximumfun.org slash jumbotron where it's a hundred bucks for one of those personal messages and 200 bucks for a commercial message I gotta say, if you've got like a company that you want to advertise and uh, you're tempted to buy a commercial message like that rate is really competitive and far more competitive than what you would get if you like went through a traditional advertising channel, so uh, give it a you know, ponder it consider it Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you beam your drunk Shimoda down to the planet's surface to be consumed by an angry hellfire? Drunk Shimoda! <laughs> uh, I, uh, I didn't get an opportunity, Adam. My drunk Shimoda in this episode is Troy. Uh, there's a couple of things that kind of add up to her being my drunk Shimoda in this episode. Um... But the the scene that I wanted to give special citation to is in the concert. They kind of like it's kind of like the ultimate Troy potted plant scene of <laughs> all time because she doesn't do anything in this scene but be seated behind Captain Picard. And the aperture on the camera is wide enough that she is in very, very soft focus. Like she is essentially just recognizable as Counselor Troy. But you can see as he starts to get kind of like thrilled by watching Commander Darren's performance, you can see that she's like picking up on it big time. So like when she comes in and realizes that he is not slick at all about the fact that he's been dating this woman Mm -hmm. uh, later, it's like, it's just, it's just fun to like know that, that Troy has been on to him for this long. She puts it so beautifully, too. Like, he, I think he asks something like... It's that obvious. And she says... In a way that pleases people who care about your happiness, yes, it is. I thought that was a very eloquent way to say that. Yeah, and I just thought... I don't know. I think Marina Sirtis got very short shrift in this episode in the same way that Dr. Crusher's character did. But she did a lot in this scene where she had nothing to do. And uh, yeah. got my attention for really playing her character when what she could have done is just sit there and listen to some piano music, you know? Yeah. So she's my drink, Shimoda. How about yourself, Adam? You know, as as we're going through the story of Picard falling for Darren, they play a lot of music together. Mm-hmm. And in one of the scenes, they find the most acoustically perfect part of the ship buried in its Jeffries tubes. <laughs> and they're so, so they're doing a little duet there. And the result of their recital in this part of the ship is that the music is echoing throughout the tubes. <laughs> and uh, one of the places that it echoes is engineering. And Jordy's working on something. And he notices like the Doppler affected, you know, duet coming through the pipes. And he's like, what the hell is that? And he's like looking at the ceiling and squinting and like 
he, he finally chases it down to the tube where there are a few other engineers wandering around doing like the universal sign for trying to hear something and then giving up on trying to figure out what that is. Like the, <laughs> the upturned hand of, of, huh, you know? <laughs> The tilted that, puppy head of what's that? <laughs> and it's background acting that was so flimsy <laughs> that it brought to mind just a brief story. I was asked to do the same acting. I'm not sure if I told you this, Ben, but I was a child actor, a child commercial actor. Really? For just a few commercials when I was very young, uh, mostly local car dealerships. So in one of these commercials, I was asked to do what this background guy was asked to do, which was like, listen to something and dismiss it physically, <laughs> like dismiss it and dismiss it in an offhand way. And in this case, a literally offhand way by like turning your hand over and going, oh, geez, I'll never figure this out. Mm -hmm. Like grind your fists into your hips like, oh, geez, <laughs> like that sort of thing. And this is this is a child actor move. This guy pulls. Man. Not great. <laughs> so he's my Shimoda. He's, he's, we kind he's of your Shimoda we kind of really you. went a lot of places with that one. Yeah, I feel like we kind of went right on opposite ends of the acting spectrum. Background acting yeah. that was great, and background acting that was hilarious. Indeed. Darmok, Angelad, Tanaga. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What do we have coming up on the next episode? Uh, the next episode is Season 6, Episode 20, The Shuss. Picard finds himself in a race with Cardassians, Klingons, and Romulans to solve a four-billion-year-old genetic puzzle. Do you remember this episode, Adam? Everybody's puzzin'. <laughs> Puzz 3D. This episode. Yeah. I do remember this episode as being like... Well, I don't know if I want to give too much away in my discussion of it now, but uh, this show occasionally makes alien choices that are uh, fairly repetitive. <laughs> and I will just say that uh, that an alien reveal in this episode felt that same way. This alien belongs in a bucket. This is an episode that as seasons one, two, and three went by, I kept being like, where the fuck is that episode? Because it, it, yeah. it, it f- smells like a super early episode in the series. Mm. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I guess, uh, I guess that'll be the next one we watch. The Shays. <laughs> well, uh, one way our myriad viewers never lounge on our particular show <laughs> is by, uh, is by talking about it all the time, everywhere, Ben. On places like Twitter, Facebook, Reddit. Uh, we enjoy reading their theories, their encapsulations of our jokes on places like the Wikia page. Uh, they have they have built a community around the show, and for that, we are forever grateful. Indeed. Um, yeah, we've, uh, we've also got uh, great moderators on there who, like, really go out of their way to make them, like, positive places. Our moderators are like the people down on the planet surface that is about to be consumed by fire. Yeah. Our, our moderators are down there setting up shielding so that our our fun and nice community doesn't get cooked by a couple of trolls every once in a while. Yeah, like the other day I was like, I had like a very busy work day and didn't didn't really have time or energy to, to check in on our social media. And I saw on a you know push notica- notification from twitter somebody saying like Bleh, the facebook is over and by the time i actually got to look at the facebook it was like totally chill and it was mostly threads about like how austin the guy who moderates it has been doing great great work making it a, a fun and safe space so <laughs> you know Thank you very much, Austin, yeah. for all your hard work. And uh, and Mike over at the uh, Reddit one, like same deal. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, like it's it's like anything online. There are uh, dinglings who want to come ruin the fun for everybody. And uh, unlike everything online, those people get kicked out. <laughs> Look, without good moderation, those places could be just inundated with goatsy pics. We can't have it. <laughs> Cannot have it. Uh, ben, we still have merch available and hopefully another shirt or two uh, coming quite shortly. Yeah, go get our merch. It's good stuff. Support the show. Go to MaximumFun.org slash donate where, uh, where you're able to help the ongoing production of our show. Yeah, and uh, we should thank Dark Materia for our theme music, Adam Ragusea, for a lot of the other music you hear on the program. And with that... We'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and some some really surprising loaf reveals.
What was the name of the dog in that first Russian satellite? Oh, Laika. Yeah. Uh, see, I'm trying to tie Laika into his dick, and I... <laughs> I don't have the joke connective tissue for that. Yeah. Let's workshop that a little bit, Ben. That's a, a joke sinew that <laughs> might be hard to come by. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.